parable of the talents, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who has called his own slaves and trusted his possessions to them, to the one who gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded, traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled the accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought the five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I'll put, I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received two talents also two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me, and see, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slaves. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone, for to everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an, an abundance. But the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. Throw out the worst, worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Spirit of God. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, yeah, sorry about the, the text uh, not being up there. That was my fault. Um, but it is from Matthew 25. Thanks for the reading, Toby. That was good. Uh, it's Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And we're going to actually break down each verse. So, uh, and, the, and the verses will be up there. So apologize for the beginning. Um, all right. So in the 1950s, uh, there was a missionary to Ecuador named Jim Elliott. Anyone heard of that name before, Jim Elliott? Yeah, cool. Famous missionary. Um, and in 1950, uh, he coined this term as he, was, as he was at a conference about world missions and, and, and being biblical and, you know, um, not falling into, like, you know, the worldliness of the world. Anyways, he was at this conference and he journaled in his journal <laughs> this famous quote. And it's up there. Uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, and then a few months later, after writing that, he met this former missionary to Ecuador who told him about this tribe this, uh, called the Auca, Auca, A-U-C-A, Auca, Auca, Auca tribe in Ecuador, in the jungles of the Amazon. Um, small group of fierce, uh, savage, which that's, the, that's, it, that's what it means. Alka means savage. Uh, Indians uh, in the Amazon who were unreached with the gospel. No one's ever communicated with them, talked to them, told them about the gospel. 
Um, and this former missionary says, hey, why not, you know, reach the, the Alka Indians? And that's when Jim Elliott sensed the call to go to this unreached people group. Two years later, he flew out to Ecuador, learned the language, got trained up. And then in 1955, uh, after preparation, they first made contact. Him and a group of three other missionaries made contact with the Alka tribe. Uh, they had an airplane flying around. They dropped gifts to them and communicated phrases to them to just start building a connection. And it was actually going pretty well until two years later, they decided to land the plane. And after some miscommunication, someone lied about who they are. One of the connections in that tribe, one of the Indians, they lied about who they are. And then as soon as they landed the plane, they were met with a huge army of these tribes and were speared to death uh, before they could even uh, share the good news of the gospel. And he himself wrote this, quote, this phrase, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose, even if it means his very own life, which he did give up. And after that, many, many missionaries were inspired to go to this tribe and to reach them with the gospel. Um, but what I love about uh, this, this quote and this missionary, Jim Elliott, um, is what I shared about three weeks ago when I talk about discipleship, is that uh, a true disciple gives up, exactly what he said, gives up the old, gives up his flesh, gives up the things of the earth, the pursuits and comforts of the world to gain something better, to gain Christ and what he offers. And then he gets others to do the same. Like that is what a disciple does. And we went through various verses. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he saw two brothers and he, uh, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left their father, they left their business, they left their comforts to follow Jesus. And in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He says, your love for God is so supreme, so uh, on top that everything else looks like hate in comparison because you hold on to it so loosely, but hold on to Christ so tightly. Luke 14, Therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And he's basically saying, you cannot have two masters. You cannot have two uh, gods, two loves, two ways to find your joy and your worth and your meaning. Because if you love one, you'll reject the other. So it's just not possible. You have to choose. You have to decide who your Lord and master is. And then in Mark 8, 34, he, he summoned the crowds and he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Man, these words that Jesus spoke, they're not easy. They're not easy. And they're not what we 
tend to think Christianity is. Yes, just go to church. Just say the prayer. Know that you're going to go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. Agree that he died for you and your sins are forgiven. Yes, that's all great. That's a part of it. But the call to discipleship costed so much more. A disciple gives up his old life, his, his own selfish kingdom, to gain the new life in Christ. That means we no longer live for our own comforts and dreams, even if it means to give up your family, your jobs, your, your uh, uh, possessions, your safety. Yes, even your own life. And he's not saying everyone just leave all of that right now. No, he's saying give it up in the sense that that is not your God. That is not where you find your purpose and your meaning and your value. It is not what gives you, makes you who you are. But you use that, you turn that, you give it to Jesus so that he can use you for his kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk about today, right? So there's, there's a sense of abandonment, a commitment. I'll give up everything and everything, whatever you ask. Why? Because I know who I'm following and what I gain, that I'm gaining God himself, a new life, freedom from sin's penalty and power, and I meet the wisest teacher who can navigate me through this world and who can model for me what it looks like to truly be free, to truly live in joy as I follow our Father God. This is what we gain. This is what we gain. Life the way it's meant to be. It's like this, like we're, if we're all zombies, right? <laughs> how, many, how many people you like zombie movies, right? Apocalyptic movies. They're kind of cool because it's about survival. It's about, you know, community, getting together, surviving, winning, looking for hope, looking for a new world, right? Something new to come. That's, it's really pictures what life is like for us, like what the gospel is about. Like we're all zombies. Apart from Christ, we're dead in our sins, Right? The disease of sin has come and changed us completely. We're walking dead. We're the walking dead, right? Souls are dead, dead before God's eyes, no life. We're all zombies, right? But here comes a man who has the cure to new life so that you can truly live, regenerate your soul so that you can live, have a relationship with God and truly live out who you're meant to be, right? And he says, follow me, trust me, I have the cure. Will you give up your life of eating brains? <laughs> Sorry for the graphicness. Eating flesh. Will you give that up so you can have real food? Real food. What you were meant to do. Will you change masters? And that's the call. Will you change masters? And so he said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Because you, 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 you came to me. You cared for me. You saved me. You have all the answers to true life. I'll do what you say. But every so often we think, man, those brains were good. <laughs> right? Those brains were good. I want to go back. <laughs> right? But, you know, it leaves you needing more and wanting more. And it's just life of a zombie. Why do we go back? Why do we go back when Jesus says, no, I have the words of eternal life. Your value, your worth, your meaning is found in me. Don't go back. Don't go back. Give it up. So to, so to follow Jesus is to hold loosely to the things of the world, 
comfort, careers, possessions, position, family, friends, safety, ourselves even, and to cling tightly to the person of Christ and the mission of his kingdom. Hold loosely to the things of the world and hold tightly to the person of Christ and the mission of his kingdom. It's not, Christianity is not, okay, here are the things I pursue in life. Academics, career, finances, family, play, church, Jesus. We compartmentalize everything, right? Rather, no, my one pursuit, my one desire is you, Jesus. You lived for me. You died for me. You rose again from the dead for me. And so now my life is yours. How does King Jesus want me to do these things for his glory and for his kingdom? How does Jesus want me to pursue academics? Does he want me to go to college even? You know, career. What career? God, what do you want me to do for your kingdom? Does he want me to have a family, raise a family, get married, right? Why? And for what? How does this glorify you, God? This is the way a disciple thinks. Because the grades, the career, the money, the family, these are not my worth. This is not my pursuit of happiness. But God is. You are my, oh God, I seek you. I thirst for you. My flesh yearns for you, as we read in Psalm 63. God, please free me and be my one desire. I love how Pastor Matt Chandler puts it. He says, we desire good grades and good jobs and good families and friends. And that's good. Desire is not wrong. But only when we close our hands around it and it becomes a non-negotiable. God, I'll follow you, but I still really need to have this kind of car, this kind of family, this kind of income, this boy or this girl. I'll give you anything you want, but, but you can't have what's in my hand. But when we do commit to Christ, when we do seek to be his disciple and to say, I love you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. You saved me. I give you my life. When we commit to Christ, Jesus says, great. Now what's in your hand? No, God, you, you can't have this. You can't have this. It's my life and joy, but, but I'll give you my Sundays. I'll give you my Sundays. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to grow a little bit more. I'll give you, I'll go to Yak. I'll go to Small Group. I'll go to DG. All right, fine, fine. Okay, okay. I'll serve too. I'll serve. I'll serve. I'll serve. I'll go to missions. But the rest of the time, I pursue school, job, family, play the way I want. But I'll give you that. But Jesus is crystal clear. You're, we're not a Christian because you go to church, because you do these things. You stay away from bad things. You agree that Jesus is God and he gets you to heaven. Even the demons believe that. A disciple gives up the old because he gains the new because Jesus is better. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so today, we will see that Jesus also taught that a true disciple demonstrates his love for Christ not only by giving up these things to want Christ, to gain Christ, but working for Christ's gain. A true disciple also works for Christ's gain, increases Christ's kingdom. We give it the old to gain the new, to gain Christ, but then to further the gain of Christ, to further Christ's kingdom for his gain, not mine. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So not, not only do you, um, you can click the next, next slide, not only do you, go, you, you let go of things because you know who you're following, but you work for the master's gain because you love what you're following. You love who you're following. 
So a true disciple knows the master's generosity. And this is what we see in Matthew 25. You know the master's generosity. You make the most of your opportunity and you live in light of eternity. Now I want you to remember these things, okay? You give up the old to gain Christ and now you live for Christ's gain, right? You live for Christ's gain. You live for his kingdom to, to produce, to increase his kingdom and his effects, his presence in the world. And how do you do that? Know the master's generosity, make the most of his opportunity, and live in light of eternity. So first point, know the master's generosity. Verse 14, 25 verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. First, we have to know the master's generosity that he graciously called us to be servants of his. It's gracious of a master to hire a slave because a lot of, those a lot of times in that time, a slave, right, uh, uh, had nothing. One who became, became a slave had nothing. And so it was very gracious for a master to say, hey, live in my household. I'll provide you a home, wages, resources, right? Before, before this slave was, was just a bum, nothing. Right? Absolutely nothing. Now he's in the household of a wealthy master. And if the master had no son, oftentimes that slave became the heir to all the property of the master. <laughs> Talk about going from orphan to son, having nothing to having everything, right? It's very, the grace of our God that he invites all of us to say, hey, come serve me. Enter into the master's happiness. It's the grace of God for us to hear that call and to say, yes, Lord, I will live for you. Because apart from him, we're all zombies. We're all zombies, right? Just living in this world, roaming around in this world, not living for any eternity, not, leave, not living for eternity, not living for anything great, but just our own stomachs for zombies, for, for brains, right? So very gracious of the master to invite us all to, to hire slaves. Um, I mean, we don't believe in slavery now, don't get me wrong, we don't do that. But um, in those days, that's what we learned about masters and slaves, right? So I, I remember when I was a poor uh, uh, young pastor, uh, when I just started, right, just graduated college, uh, started, um, you know, youth pastoring part-time. Um, there was a friend of mine. He was hot, uh, you know, realtor. You know, he was selling homes like crazy. Right, um, and he was making it big in the Korean community, and he's like, you know what? I want you to work for me. Right? I know you're only getting paid part time, but uh, I'll give you a part time job. And so um, he's like, make some, you know, house brochures for me. Like, go put up rental signs or you know, home sale signs around the neighborhood, and you can just do all these, do these little things for me, and I'll and I'll pay you. And so I was like, all right, sounds good. Um, and and he was also a discipler of mine. He, you know. When I was a high school student, he showed me how to, you know, do quiet times and how to evangelize and how to, you know, grow closer to God. And a wonderful friend, wonderful uh, man of God. And as I worked for him, right, uh, he gave me a car. <laughs> no joke, no joke. He gave me a car, Honda Accord, right? Only three years old, silver. Still remember that car. Um, gave me a laptop. Hey, here's a laptop. You can do your work. Do whatever you want also with it. It's yours to have. 
right? Um, bought me lunch all the time. Um, and, and this guy, he loved buffets. So I was like, yes. <laughs> we ate so many buffets together. Um, good pay, you know, flexible. Man, so grateful, right? So grateful. Why? Because he wanted to help me, right? Survive on a part-time income, right? And so it's very gracious, right, to be hired as a worker, right? And, and that's what we see in Matthew 25. And so, so what's this talent now? Now what's this talent that, that he's giving his servants? Um, first of all, we have to know it's the master's. Right? He's generously giving these talents, what we read in the scripture, these talents to these slaves, to these servants. It's God's. God owns it. God owns it. He gave it. And so the talent, a lot of times we misunderstand this passage. The talent is not your ability. What talents, you know, in, in English, talent. What talent, like, like juggling, what talent has God given you? Like, it's not about juggling, juggling for Jesus. It's not about being good at Brawl Stars. Right? Like talent. It's not, not that talent he's talking about. Talent was a monetary unit of money. Monetary unit of money that was the master's, right? And the, note said, the, the footnote says it was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. 20 years wages. I looked it up in Houston. What's the average uh, annual salary in Houston? 60K. 60K, right? 20 years wages of 60K. Do the math. 1.2 million, right? 1.2 million was 20 years wages. So five of those talents is 1.2 million times five. What is that? Six million. Six million dollars given to these servants for the first five, for the second, two talents. Today's 60K salary, 2.4 million. And then the one talent, 1.2 million. This is a generous, gracious master who's giving his possessions. So this, so this talent is something from God given to us graciously. And he entrusted us with it. He entrusted them his property to each according to his ability. Something that God gives you that's his but according to your ability, based on your natural wiring and gifting, right? So all these things that come from God, his resources, right? He gives differently to each of us. You're blessed with time, money, provision, where you live, what school, what you, where you work, your family, your friends, your church. All resources, all blessings from God given to you, right? But then based on your ability, based on your wiring, your design, how are you going to produce for him? How are you going to increase his kingdom? So each of us is very different, right? The blessings he's given us and also the way he wired us, the way he designed us, right? We each have this innate wiring from God. We don't choose how we're wired. It's just some are extroverted, some are introverted, right? We're, we're all wired specifically in uh, North Point Church in, in Georgia, they categorize it in like four colors, four basic types of wiring and design. See if, if you can follow one of these, right? Uh, see if you fall into one of these. One, you're the playful yellow, the playful yellow. Fun-loving, outgoing, optimistic, life of the party. Your strengths, you're a people person, humorous, creative and colorful, great storyteller. Basically, you're a star, 
You're a star. You have a gift for storytelling. You bring joy and laughter to every room you're in. Go on and spread some cheer. That is the playful yellow. The peaceful green. You're relaxed, likable, peaceable, low stress. Your strengths are you're adaptable, good under pressure, good listener, kind. You're, you're agreeable, you're reliable, you're a great listener. Three things that make you an incredible leader of people and teams. And we'd all be lucky to have a friend or a boss like you. Green, peaceful green. Powerful red, visionary. You can see and achieve goals. You're a born leader. You get things done. You're a decision maker. Your strengths are you're decisive. You work well under pressure. You're production oriented. You're a great leader. Right? Your confidence and decisiveness, decisiveness makes you comfortable calling the shots. Step up and grab the reins on that next project. Maybe you're a proper blue. Organized, detail-oriented, accurate, deep thinker. Your strengths, attention to detail, good with numbers, great at processes and systems. Self-starter, takes initiative. Your eye for detail and drive for perfection make you an incredible asset on project teams. But you've also got skills to paint, play, or write a masterpiece. Musicians, right? Serious and analytical, sensitive and creative. Maybe you're a proper blue, right? You, you see that, right? Some are just great at certain things and some are not, right? We're all wired with this natural ability and God has given you resources and blessings according to your natural wiring so that through that, it equals opportunity. So these talents that God gives us are opportunities to increase his kingdom. Right? Let's tell our parents, like, hey, smart just doesn't mean we're good at math. Come on, right? There's so many different kinds of intelligences, mathematical and logical, scientific, right? Nature, biology, you know, all the doctors in the room and, and nurses and, and, you know, medical field, right? Um, musical, social, right? You're empathetic. You can listen well. You're interpersonal or linguistic. You're just good with words, or, or some of you just more physical in terms of mind, body, hand, eye coordination. Some of you are just great at that, right? So we each have different intelligence and different wiring, but God designed you that way and gives you the resources and gives you his provision so that what God gives you plus how you're wired equals opportunities to increase his kingdom. The opportunity that God gives you and he calls you to do, only you can do. And he invites us to do that and to live that out. Only you can do. You have that call. You have that opportunity to increase what he's entrusted to you. Not for your own gain, but for the gain of Christ, your master, your savior. And what are you doing with those opportunities? Do you see those opportunities? Which leads to the next point. A true disciple makes the most of these opportunities, right? Not only do you know the, 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 the master's generosity, but you make the most of the opportunities that are given to you. He who received five talents, verse 16, went at once and traded them, and he made five more. He who had two made two more. He who received one dug it in the ground and hid the master's money. And in verse 20, he who received the five talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, here, 
I've brought this for you. This is for you. I've made five talents more. So we make the most of our opportunities. We work. We obey in response to the master's generosity. God, this is all from you. This is how you made me. And you've entrusted me for your kingdom work. God, how could I reject that? How could I turn that down when you saved me, when you gave me life? This is for you. How are you using what the opportunities God has given you? Not for your own use, but for the master's gain. Here, master, I have made five more. I have made two more. Not to earn something, not to get something, not to, not to you, know, you know, say, uh, you know, trick him and say, okay, I did this for you. You better give me this. No, it's not about negotiating with God. But this is for you. How can I, how can I increase for the master? And it says, at once he put it to work. Immediately, right? That means he, he had to think, he had to plan, he had to, he had to decide how he was going to work hard. He had to trade it and invest it, and he, and he doubled it. And so both of these guys were faithful and obedient, and they maximized what they've been given according to their ability. And they were dedicated. They were intentional. There might have been failures. There might have been risks. But they were driven to say, this is for the master. But the third, the third servant, what does he say? Next slide. Third servant. Um, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid your talent. Here's, take it back. Here's what's yours. You can have it back now. And he blamed the master for his inaction, said, no, this is the kind of master you are, so I, yeah, I, I, I'm afraid of that. I don't want any part of that, you know. He blamed the master for his own inaction. I was afraid. I was fearful. I hid your talent. What is he saying here? Basically saying, I don't know you. He didn't know the master he didn't know the, the, the gracious, generous master who entrusted and who gave and who brought him into his house, into his wealth. He did not know the master. Your view of the master will determine your action if you will make the most of your opportunity. How do you see your God? Is he this magical waiter? Like, okay, God, if I do this, then you better give me this and this and this and this. Is he your hard to please boss? So you just work hard so you can just one up your boss and say, hey, I deserve that promotion. You, God, you better make things happen in my life. And the way to tell is when you're suffering, when things aren't going well, do you get angry at God or do you say, God, I know and I trust you're doing this for my good. I know it sucks. You hate it. It's not, hap it's not, it's not good. But, but I trust you. I trust you. I choose to have joy because you're my master. You're my creator. How do you respond in, in the face of difficulty? Or what do you fear? What do you fear? Fear of failure, fear of disapproval, ah, fear of rejection. 
Would you rather just live for your own comfort, your own convenience, have no part with what the master is wanting to do in this kingdom, in his world, in his providence, in his sovereignty? Are you living for your own comfort? The zombie life, that's the life. Zombie life. And so this guy made no use of what God entrusted. He denied it, wasted it, the opportunity that he's been given. What has God entrusted to you? What is your ability? What is your opportunity to produce for God's kingdom? And if you don't know, say, God, I want that. I want that. You are a good and generous, gracious God. You saved me. So how can I live for you? Show me. What do you want me to do for your kingdom? And you're willing to do it. You're willing to give up what's necessary because you know your master. What has God given to you with your work, your workplace, your, 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 your school, your, your flexibility with time, your, your leadership positions, your friend groups, your neighborhood, the clubs that you're in? What has God given to you? And be faithful and obedient in multiplying his kingdom in that place. Who are you loving? Who are you, who are you pouring out to? Who are you sharing your life with? We're here in Houston. How are we making the most of our, our weekends, our, our vacations, our, our summer times? Because there's a lot of kingdom work out there. Or your marriage and your family, how are we multiplying that? God has given that to you as opportunity. How are you digging into your wiring to encourage your husband, to love and lead your wife, to raise your kids and point them to Jesus? Let's ask ourselves, God, would you show me? Would you show me uh, not only just how gracious you are, but to make the most of the opportunities you've given to me? We can all do it because we're all wired in one way and we've all been given the generosity of our God. And now, what do you do with it, right? We live in the light of eternity. Choose to live in the light of eternity. The easy, why, right? Why should we do that? The easy answer in this text is because Jesus is coming back and he's gonna judge us, right? He's gonna judge how we lived. So why live in the light of eternity? That's, that's the easy answer. But the second answer is, it's for your joy. God is for your joy. God is for you to truly live and to truly know what it means to, to know him. Would you live in the light of eternity? Which eternity? Enter into the master's joy or be casted out into the utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Which eternity are we living in light of? Because it's Jesus will return and will settle accounts, it says, verse 19. Jesus will return and will settle accounts after a long time, the master of those servants comes back and he says, where's the account? Where's, where, where's the money? How did you increase it? It wasn't for your own use or for your own gain, but, but for the kingdom, for me. Right? And he's going to give, we have to give an account. And you're welcomed in or you're casted out. And I'm not saying this is salvation by works here. 
Because we have to remember, God graciously invites all of us to live for his kingdom, remember? By his grace, right? We're, we, were not, we were nobodies, but by his grace, he invites us. But the evidence of who your master is, what's the evidence of who your master is? Because the final destination, the final destiny, the outcome of those who love their master, of those who decided, I'm going to live in the light of the master's joy, eternity with the master who loves me, who bought me, who died for me. The final destiny, what we see in Matthew 25 is the outcome of those who love their master and those who don't. How you live on this earth is a reflection of who your master is. And so are you waiting and watching and living and producing until he returns? Or are you just rejecting those opportunities and say, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine, God. I'll just hide it all. I'll just dig it under the ground. Don't, don't bother me. I'm, I'm just going to do my own thing. How do you see this world? How do you see your time on earth? Making the most of your God-given opportunities, will you choose to be a disciple of Jesus. And so the first outcome, you wicked and slothful servant, cast this worthless servant into the other utter darkness. All right? Sounds harsh, but that's the reality. That's what's going to happen for those who reject Christ. You know, in like those movies where somebody gets like, someone has to get amputated because there's like, you know, before they, they die, they have to at least amputate the part that's like, you know, infected. And so what do they always do? They put a, an apple or something in the guy's mouth. They can bite that, you know, gnashing of teeth, grinding of teeth. Just, that's hell. Like that's hell, right? Weeping. Darkness, sadness, despair, and just utter pain of just loneliness and not being with God the way he wants us to be. But to the good and faithful servant, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. I approve your work. I value you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. I value you. I cherish you. That's where we get our approval. That's where we get our worth, to hear the well done of God the Father. Right? Now, ultimately, in Christ, who lived for us, who took our place, who lived perfectly for us so that by Christ's righteousness, he says, I approve of you, I accept you. That is your position, that is your status. You're now a son and a daughter of God, but now your works have value. Your works have value too because your value has changed. Well done, good and faithful servant. I value your work. I value the time 
and the work and the serving and the giving up of your life you gave to me. I value you. Thank you. You've been faithful over a little. He calls it a little. Remember that $6 million. That's a little. But he says, now I'll set you over much. What is he saying here? Servant to ruler, I set you over much. Have dominion. Rule with me over my kingdom. Because in eternity, we're not just floating baby angels on clouds. That's not heaven. We're serving. We're working with joy. We're continuing to rule over the new heaven, the new earth, the way he designed. We still have meaning. We still have purpose to glorify him forever with joy where there's no sin and no pain, no tears, no sickness, no death, eternally worshiping and serving, working for our master because we love him. Enter into the joy of your master. See, God is not trying to just ruin, he's not not trying to take away all your fun. He wants you to have the greatest joy He wants to give you what's his. He wants to give you the opportunities to experience him, to be used by him. Enter into the joy of your master. He is for your joy. He is for your satisfaction. He is for your fulfillment. He's for you in that because he made you. Today we have the father's love his forgiveness, his mercy, his compassion, his approval, his adoption. And then when we, we can taste that joy now. And when he returns, enter into the joy of your master in all its fullness. That's what awaits a disciple who's committed to live for him. So let go of what you're chasing after. Stop living for yourself because you're dying. You're just wasting away. You're enslaved. C.S. Lewis, famous quote we share here all the time. Um, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. But like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Will you live in the light of eternity, eternal joy that God is giving to you? Uh, I'm just going to end with this um, one story, and praising can come up. Um, in, in this book called The Little Prince, or maybe you've read it, uh, it's a little prince who lived on an island, right? Little planet on an island, and on the island, he had a rose, and he took great care of it. And one day, he decides to explore the galaxy. He meets all these different characters, and he goes to Earth and finds a rose bush with many, many roses. And then later on in the story, he meets a fox. They become friends. They, they go to places together. They play together. But then he comes back to these rose bushes, right? And he says to them, you are not at all like my rose. As yet, you are nothing. No one has tamed you. And you have tamed no one. You are like my fox when I first met him. He was only a fox like a 100,000 other foxes, but I have made him my friend. Now he is unique in all the world. All right, this fox before, he was just any other thousands of foxes, but now he is my friend and he is unique among all the other foxes. And the roses were very much embarrassed 
He says, you are beautiful, but you are empty. No one could die for you. To be sure, an ordinary passerby would think that my rose would look just like you. But in my rose, in herself, all alone, she is more important than all the hundreds of you other roses because it is she that I have watered. It is she that I have put under the glass globe. It is she that I have sheltered. It is her for her that I have killed the caterpillars. It is she that I have listened to when she grumbles or boasts or when she says nothing because she is my rose. Before, that, that rose was just like all the other rose bushes, all the other roses, like any other rose. But now, because by virtue of that rose being his, it's all the difference. The value changes. One day, God said, you are my rose. By virtue of your union with me, because you are united now to Christ, you are his. Your value has changed. He has watered you, protected you, listened to you because you are his rose. You're his son and daughter. Would you receive that value? Would you receive that love? And now because the outpouring of your love for your master, the things you do for him now have different value because you have different value, right? Before, if you were just a bum, you know, Cleaning the house, you're just a bum cleaning the house. But having been married and united to Christ, now you're the prince, the princess of the king. And when you clean that house, it's a whole nother difference because that cleaning has value. That service has value. Your work has value. Your design has value. You've been given these opportunities. Would you... Make the most of it for your king, for your master. Let's live for the well done, good and faithful servant. How are we living? How are we living? Just imagine if, 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 if all of us, if RK, if Houston decided to, to live in light of, the etern of, of eternity and said, I will live for you, God. Let go of the things because you know who you're following. You know what you gain, and then therefore to give your life for the gain of his kingdom because you know who you love and because you know who loves you. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for um, this call, this invitation to to new life. And it's not just about saying a prayer and saying, oh, okay, Jesus died for me. I'm going to go to heaven now. But it's about knowing your generosity, tasting and delighting in who you are and being given to the, the opportunities that we have that you've given to us based on the way you wired us, our unique call, our unique role, our unique opportunities that you've presented before us, Lord, may we grab a hold of those things to be used by you, to live for you. May we make the most of it because in response to your generosity, in response to your grace, oh God, would you cause us to hunger and thirst to know you and to live for you and not for the things of this world. Help us to live in light of eternity because you will return. How are we increasing your kingdom 
and reflecting your kingdom on this earth. We pray that you would uh, change us and help us to do so because we love you, because we serve you alone, because in you alone do we have value and true joy for all eternity. May we want to taste it and see it and experience it now and more and more until you return in all its fullness. Help us, God, to live in the light of the eternal joy of the Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.